Good morning. Oh my goodness gracious, man, you guys are crazy. <laughs> you know, I thought no more ever again will I doubt. I had so little faith this morning that anybody would show up. And so I thought, well, I must have had some faith because I still prepared a message. And this morning I was up at four o'clock again praying and, and just kind of going over it, going, well, if two people show up, if one person shows up, if people say, hey, preacher, preach it up, I'm going to preach it up. So this morning we're back into the book of Acts and uh, we have uh, quite a bit to cover. I, I, I told them to modify worship just because we started a little late. And so I don't think I'm going to modify my message, though, because I thought, well, maybe, yeah, we'll do, it's like, nope, I got a lot to cover this morning. So if you're in Acts chapter 15, we'll be reading it in no time. The last time that we were in, in Acts 15, a couple weeks ago, I was supposed to cover the first 12 verses from 1 to 12, and I only got to verse 11. And so this morning, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. And we will get to verse 29 this morning. And so let's read through our text this morning. Acts 15, 12. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has, declared, Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And will repair its ruins, and I will set it up, so the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things, known to God from eternity with all his works. Verse 19, therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those who, from among the Gentiles who are turning to God but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men, of their company, of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was surnamed Barsabbas, and uh, Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with these words, unsettling your souls, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. 
It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their own lives for the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by mouth, by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well, farewell. Father, I pray, God, that you would just bless your word as we have opened it up, as we've been able to read through it, Lord God. I pray, God, that you would just give me just the the confidence and the boldness, Lord, to be able to share this message that you've laid on my heart. I thank you, Lord God, for my brothers and sisters who are here. Please speak to them and minister to them, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 15 of Acts deals with a conference, a a meeting, a symposium, a, a talk, if you will, that had to take place in the city of Jerusalem, in the church or at the church uh, uh, in Jerusalem, the, the birthplace of the church, the mother church, if you will. The, the, this talk, this symposium, this meeting is taking place right now, and they have now gathered together. If you remember, some from the church of Jerusalem had traveled all the way up to Antioch to share with them certain things that the church had not sent them out to go do. Those who lived in Antioch, for the most part, those who, who came to the church there in Antioch were made up of Jew and Gentile, but mostly Gentile. Although the church in Jerusalem was made up mostly of Jews, there were situations that were going on over there. And again, what they were preaching and what people were hearing were two different things, it seemed like. Because again, we, we just read that these guys are going, hey man, we didn't send anybody out there to put this trip on you guys. But be that as it may, these guys have gone up there to tell the believers of that church, in order to be truly saved, you ought to be or you have to be circumcised and you also have to keep the law of Moses. Now, it is quite possible that the church of Antioch was not the only one that that these people hit on their way up there. It's quite possible that they had hit several other areas before they got there teaching these kinds of things. But when they got to Antioch, Paul and Barnabas are there. And Paul was not going to have any more of this. Because I'm sure he had heard that these guys were sharing stuff like that and these guys came to confront them or to discuss with them (laughs) this issue because Paul and Barnabas were, were preaching that it is through grace alone, by faith, that one ought to be saved. And so all of the situation came to a head and so they decided that it would be better to send some of the guys from Antioch back down to the mother church, to the church in Jerusalem, to talk to the leaders and try and settle that issue or this issue. That's that's where we were at at the beginning of chapter 15. So in verse 12, again, after Paul or, or, or 
Peter had spoken up in verse 12, the verse that we didn't quite get to last time, it says, Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Saul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. It must have been pretty amazing what Peter was sharing with them because all of a sudden, all the multitude, all this dispute that was going on, when Peter stood up and started talking to them about what God had done in him and through him, all of a sudden, everybody was silent. It's almost like he captivated the people that were there as he began to, to share with them. And when he was quiet or when he stopped, these guys were, were quiet. These guys were silent. And because of that, now Paul and Barnabas stand up and they begin to share as well. And these guys sat, sat quietly listening to them as well. When Paul and Barnabas stood up, they told the, the group of people, and I'm sure again the sect from the Pharisees, those who had kind of brought up this issue, were sitting there with them. And but Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're, they're sharing the things that God was doing in them and through them among the, the, the Gentiles. And so they're sharing this, this story. The writer Luke here only gives them a one-sentence summary of, of all that went on in the last two chapters, chapter 13 and 14. That was their first missionary journey. That's where it goes into great detail of all the things that they were able to be doing everywhere they went. And so just here in verse 12, it, it, it's all summarized by God did some amazing things, declaring, you're using them and declaring many miracles and wonders that God worked in them and through them. Understand that Paul and Barnabas were greatly respected now in the church of Jerusalem, as we just read in verses 25 and 26. They were beloved by these guys. And so now their testimony, as they are sharing, carries a great deal of weight with it. So they're sharing these kinds of things. And the emphasis was on the miracles here that God enabled them to perform among the Gentiles, which was the proof that God had been with them, using them. But they were not miracle workers, if you will. They weren't having crusades, these miracle crusades. They weren't having their banners out there, hey, miracles tonight, show up. They weren't doing any of that stuff. What they were doing was they were preaching the gospel, and because they were preaching the gospel, people were getting saved and miracles were happening. And so Luke just kind of focuses in on the fact, just kind of combining everything and saying, these guys, as we went out, we're declaring to you all the stuff that God did. With that, they kind of showed that God had chosen them to be the, the messengers to the Gentiles. You see, they had preached grace, not law. And in that, God honored the message that they had. And so if you were to kind of go back and go over chapters 13 and 14 and, and kind of see the whole picture of what happened in that first missionary journey, you would see that the emphasis throughout was on men's faith and them believing 
noting also that the emphasis was on grace. In, in chapter 13, verse 43, it says, Now when they, the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. In chapter 14, verse 3, it says, Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the, in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hand. And also in verse 20, uh, 24 of chapter or 25, 26 of chapter 14, where it says, From there they sailed to Antioch, down in Syria, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had com completed. And so, again, if you look at that whole missionary journey, it was talking about faith, not law. It was talking about grace and how God was pouring out His grace upon people, not the law. And so what we see, or, or what we saw, and what we, we studied in those two chapters was that God had opened the door of faith. For the Gentiles, not the door of law, as verse 27 of chapter 14 tells us. Now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done in them and that he, God, had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And so what they were preaching was that man is saved by grace, not by the law. They were saved through faith and not through works. At Ephesians, later on Paul would write this to the Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Because you see, when we start mixing works and grace, now again, if you go on in Ephesians, it says that we were created for good works, but it's not the works that save you. Works accompany our salvation. Because if we work for our salvation, then we have something to boast about. Then we can say, God, tell God, you owe it to me because I actually did X, Y, and Z. And so because of that, you owe me salvation. And what the emphasis was, it's through grace. None of us deserve salvation, but he gives it to us anyways. And so in verse 13 of our text, it says, And after they had become silent, James answered and said, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. So after Paul and Barnabas had finished their talk, their sharing, of their testimony of what God had done through them, now it was time for James to speak. And so after all of this stuff that has been going on, as they came together considering the matter, after much dispute, as we've seen, has happened about this issue, and every side and everybody had their say, there fell a hush, basically. After all of this, while Peter was talking, there was no more arguing. When Paul and Barnabas got up to share, they stayed quiet. And after Paul and Barnabas was, was now done, now it was time for, for James to answer. 
and everyone was silent. Now, this James is the half-brother of Jesus. It is not the apostle James, the brother of John, who, who walked with Jesus. Jesus uh, James, the brother of John, was put to death back in Acts chapter 12 by King Herod. This James that is being talked about here came to the saving knowledge of his half-brother Jesus after the resurrection. That is when they came, him and his brothers came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I could guarantee you that James, this James, grew quickly. And he became one of the leaders in the church of Jerusalem. And as I shared last week, chapter 15, the church has now been around for about 20 years. And so James is about 20 years in the Lord. And he has grown so much so that he is now one of the leaders, if not the leader, in the church of Jerusalem. And it's interesting because when you read the book of James that he wrote, you get the feel that he was a pretty strict Jew as he grew up and even after. He, he, he still held on to some of those Jewish customs. He leans a lot that way, which wasn't wrong. He just leaned that way. And I, and I think oftentimes when we come to the Lord, there are things that we lean towards because that's where we have always been. I'm not saying that is wrong, and I'm not saying that is right. <laughs> I'm just saying that we oftentimes have our leanings a certain way. James, when you read about him and you read what he writes, you could tell which way he kind of leans. Some people say that he's very legalistic in his book. I don't believe that he is. He's just kind of hardcore. <laughs> but not legalistic. But he was open because of all that God had been doing and this issue that had arisen. He is open to the work of the Holy Spirit. And he is open to grace. He understands grace. Again, he probably had a hard time with the Gentiles coming in, and we see that back in chapter 10 when Peter goes to Cornelius' house and he comes back and reports all that God had been doing. There had been a, a little bit of kind of like leeriness of, what, of, 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 the, Jew, of the Gentiles kind of just coming in. But he says here, after he says, men, listen to me. Verse 14, he says, Simon has declared how God at, fir at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. There's two things that we need to, to note here in verse 14. And the first thing that we should note here is that James refers to Peter as Simon. Now, in the New King James, the New King James uses the word Simon. S-I-M-O-N. The Old King James, and more of the original Greek, uses the word Simeon. S-I-M-E-O-N, or S-Y-M-E-O-N. Which would be more of a Jewish spelling, and even pronunciation. So again, as he's talking to his peeps at the church in Jerusalem that are made up of a lot of Jews, and they still have that background with them, he, he doesn't call him Peter. 
He calls them Simon. And he says it in a way that they would understand. I'm speaking your language here, guys. Simon or Simeon here. He has now declared, and this is the second thing. He has now declared here in verse 14 that God at the first, that God at the first visited the Gentiles. Again, he had used Peter to do that. And what he is bringing across, and, and I think it's critical here for us to understand, is that he is affirming, James is, that Paul and Barnabas were not the first ones to go to, to the Gentiles. And that's what these guys who had come up there and caused some trouble were telling these guys, you guys got to do this thing because you guys are doing it wrong. And now he's saying, listen, Paul and Barnabas have nothing to do with this. God has called them to do that, but it was Peter, through God, through the Holy Spirit, that has already visited the Gentiles. And the question, again, is basically answered or settled in principle. It was settled back in chapter 10 and 11, before Paul and Barnabas ever had even gone on their first missionary journey, before Paul was even truly saved. And Peter had made mention of this earlier in chapter 15 from about verse 7 to verse 11. He is saying, guys, do you guys remember? And I think that's when all that hush kind of happened. Because these guys who had been preaching something other than, than grace were sitting there going, okay, now Paul, Timothy, or, or Peter is telling us that God used him to do the same thing that he did with us. But they were having a hard time because they thought, well, why would God just allow the Gentiles just to come in just, just like that? We've had to keep the law all our lives. And so shouldn't everybody do the same thing? And again, it goes back to our leanings. It goes back to sometimes the things that we have come out of, we think, well, it wasn't bad that we went through all those things, but maybe we should put that trip on other people. But they were saying you had to do these things in order to be saved. So James, because he does lean more towards the Jewish customs, goes back to the Old Testament and he quotes from Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. And he expresses the fact that the prophets, even though he's only mentioning one prophet, he mentions the fact that the prophets are in agreement with what Peter had just shared. That God was the one that was doing this. That God had called the Gentiles or, 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 or said that the Gentiles would be called by his name. And that God was the one that was doing this. And that he, God, knew this from the very beginning what he was doing. Because in, in, in verse 18 it says, Known to God from, the, from eternity all are all his works. God knew from eternity past that he would bring in some Gentiles. Now there is some controversy associated with the scripture that James uses here. Now, I'm not going to go into all of it, 
because it actually refers, these two verses in Amos chapter 9, or, or yeah, chapter 9, it refers to a time still in the future even for us, that, that, that God would rebuild and bring back together and set up the throne of David right after the tribulation before the millennial kingdom. So there's that controversy of people going, oh, I don't know, I think he's taking the scripture out of context, but he's using it for his benefit. And so there, there's that kind of controversy. Now, part of the phraseology is different in this text, in our text, of what it actually says in Amos. Because he is using the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, instead of the Hebrew Old Testament that had the phraseology a little different. Some of the, the, the pronouns, I think it was, that are just different. And so people, oh man, they're kind of having a hard time with that. But what James is settling is that the prophets agree with the conclusion. The conclusion of this portion of Scripture. That the Gentiles would be called by his name. Not so much that the prophecy had been fulfilled by Peter uh, Paul and, and, and Barnabas. So, so again, he, he's using this scripture, but he's saying they're not fulfilling it, but the conclusion of it at the end where it says, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. And so he uses that portion of scripture for that. Now, what I like is the fact that James points to scripture to make his case, albeit it might be a little out of context, only because of the Septuagint part. But he's saying, no, listen, guys, God beforehand has talked about the Gentiles, that they would be brought in. And I like that because, again, oftentimes we can use and say certain things that are not scriptural whatsoever. But James goes back to the word of God. To say, no, God has spoken about this issue. He's not fulfilling the prophecy yet, but he has spoken about this issue that the Gentiles would be called by his name. And that's what they were experiencing at that time. He wasn't just using the experience of Peter, Paul, and Barnabas to say, wow, their experience was good enough. Because that's where sometimes churches... Christians can get themselves in trouble because it's all about the experience and you're going, give me chapter and verse on that. And they're going, well, I can't give you chapter and verse, but it feels really good. And that's where we get ourselves in trouble. And I like the fact that James says, okay, it's not the fulfillment of this prophecy, but the principle, the conclusion is that the Gentiles will come in. And so he uses that. So, he makes the case that the Gentiles would be called by his name. And I'm sure when he says that, and he even uses that portion of Scripture, because he mentions it in verse 14 and then in verse 17 about the Gentiles will be called by his name, it's almost as if the Judaizers, <laughs> the sect of the Pharisees who had brought up this issue, were probably thinking, how could you do that to us? 
referring to the saved Gentiles as a people for his, God's name. You see, they were probably a little upset because they had exclusive rights to that title for centuries. That they were his people. They were God's people. And so it seemed that James had jumped ship, ranked out, or stabbed them in the back, if you will. But what I love here is that God is even working in the heart of James. Again, I know because I've, 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 I've looked at James and I've looked at in, in his life and he leans a certain way. But he is so open to what God is doing right now. And so I truly believe that God is ministering to James, even in this chapter, to settle this issue once and for all in his own heart. Because now he's the one that has to make these decisions. It is all now coming to a head. And he says this in verse 19. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted to idols, sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. It's not always easy <laughs> to drop traditions, customs, and even prejudices when we have been brought up in a certain way and taught all of our lives, this is what we believe, this is what we do. But we must give those things up because they, they end up hurting people because we can't let go of certain things. And I will say this, it probably wasn't that easy for James to do that here, but he is doing it. The phrase, I judge, means that, that James first had to examine his own, his own traditions, his own customs, his own prejudices, and he had to make a judgment on them as to whether he should require others to adhere to these traditions, customs, and prejudices. And so he is examining his own heart. And, and, and I know that even as Christians, we can trouble other people who are turning to God by giving them our own Christian customs, traditions, prejudices. I, I, I'm not saying that these things are bad necessarily. But they might not be biblical. They might be moral. In a lot of ways. But we have to be careful when we as Christians come up with our own traditions, our own customs, our own prejudices. Again, you might not think it's bad to give people some instruction as they're coming to Christ. Maybe some information. But are we making it harder for them? Are we putting more demands on them than we ought to? Because I could tell you the day that I came to Jesus, the guy that prayed with me to accept the Lord did not give me five things that I now I had to do or not do. But I knew right away that something had happened in my own life, but he didn't put a trip on me. I knew I had done something different, and that's what we need to understand. It's like, yeah, if God leads you to share people, it's like, well, this is what God did in my life 
right on, great, but don't put that trip on somebody that has just come to Christ or is now turning to Christ. It's like, oh, let me tell you now, you got to leave all your friends behind. You can't even look at a bar. You can't even go down the aisle where there's alcohol. You can't do this, 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 and this. I mean, all those things you, you would go, but that's not bad, Pastor. It might not be, but who are we to be giving that kind of instruction? Well, I just want to help. And I understand that. But the Holy Spirit, as I've been sharing with you guys, the Holy Spirit is still really good at being the Holy Spirit and convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I'm not saying that we can't throw in our two cents, but be careful with those two cents, that they're not waiting on people and we're putting trips and demands on people because what we're doing now is adding to that grace. We're not supposed to do that. So James understood both sides of what is going on here, of what's been said. <clears throat> and because of his background, if he could have put some stipulations on the Gentiles, he could possibly have put those stipulations on them. But he is saying, okay, we have to come up with a solution here. <clears throat> And I love the fact that he is open to the working and leading of the Holy Spirit. He's getting it from both sides. He's heard from the sect of the, of the Pharisees, who, who are the Judaizers, who had went and done this thing <clears throat> up at the church. He's hearing from Peter. He's hearing from Paul. He's hearing from all these people. And now he has to make a judgment. He has to make this decision. And he did not make this judgment or this decision based on his own leanings. He's trying to walk that fine line right here. Because I don't know about you, man, but I know that you probably have your leanings. <laughs> People come for counseling with me. I have my leanings that I have to be really stinking careful that I just say, like, let's just stay right here in the sweet spot where the Word of God can tell us what we need to do. Because I get in the flesh just like anybody else gets in the flesh, and I could tell you what I truly think. But you don't want to know what I truly think sometimes. You want to know what the Word of God thinks. <laughs> and that's what I love what he's doing here. He has gone back to the Word of God. He is waiting on the Holy Spirit as he's hearing all of these things out. And he, and he comes to the understanding that, that, that we should not trouble those among the Gentiles who are turning to God. And that word troubled, troubles means her, to harass, annoy, to make it more difficult or any more difficult. He is understanding that much. He has come to the understanding that it wasn't his place to make it harder for the Gentiles. Even though he could have thrown some weight around, because he is the leader. And that's a danger. <laughs> that as leaders, we have a lot of power that we can wield. And probably back it up with Scripture. But we need to be careful with that. The things that he is suggesting here were to help the Gentiles not stumble the Jews. The believing Gentiles and the believing Jews knowing that many of these 
Gentile or uh, Jewish Christians were still going to synagogue and observing the Sabbath day, as it tells us in verse 21. Many of these guys in Jerusalem were still attending synagogue. They were still adhering to part of the law where it talked about the Sabbath. Was it wrong for them to do it? No, not really. Should they have stopped going to synagogue? They could have. Again, they were used to doing these things, and maybe they're going, but that's where I get to go witness. <laughs> that's where I get to go be a light to other people. So he wasn't telling them what they had to observe or that they had to observe something or do something, but what he is about to tell them is that they should abstain from something. In other words, the believing Gentiles were to show grace to the believing Jews, that same grace that they themselves were preaching and or fighting for. They didn't want those guys to be judging them for not being circumcised or holding on to the law, but it wasn't their place to now judge them for going to synagogue or, or continuing to adhere to the Sabbath. So two of the four things that James suggests were commandments and the other two things were concessions. And I think that James really wants to bring about an agreement on both sides that would satisfy both parties. <laughs> the, the, the two commands that, that were for the believer to avoid was idolatry and immorality. The, these two sins were kind of common to the Gentiles. <laughs> They didn't mind being idolaters, nor did they mind being immoral. That was kind of their lifestyle. But he's kind of saying, yeah, you can, you, you can stop doing those things. You don't have to continue doing those things. The, the two concessions that, that, that he was giving them was that they would be willing to abstain from eating blood and meat from animals that had died by strangulation. So the two commands did not create any special problems because idolatry and immorality have always been wrong in the sight of God for both the Jew and the Gentile. God didn't want those things for anybody, even though the, Gentile, the Jews were the ones that had the Ten Commandments in that sense. It, it was a law for all people. That they would do well if they stayed away from those kinds of things. And in regards to the two concessions concerning the food, we need to keep in mind that the early church did a great deal of eating together, coming together, having fellowship together, being hospitable to one another. In other words, they had a lot of potlucks or, or, or these these uh, love feasts as they came together. There was a lot of eating that went on. And so this would be good for you guys not to be bringing in your, your blood sausage, you know, or, your, or your, your strangled meat, you know, because there's still blood in there, you know. He's, he's kind of encouraging them. It's, 
it, it, you would do well if you just kind of didn't bring that to the potluck. If the Gentile believers ate food that the Jewish believers considered unclean, it would kind of cause a division among them. And that, that's what he's trying to avoid, this division that, they, that there had been. He's trying to bring them back together. And it's interesting because later on, Paul would be dealing with this issue in Romans chapter 14 and 15. And this is what Paul says in verse, uh, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 14 of Romans. As he begins to deal with these kinds of issues, he says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, and do not dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received both. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will, make, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. And what, what, what again, he, he begins to talk about, it's like, guys, there's, there's people, and he calls them weak. There's people that adhere to certain, certain issues. And there's other people that don't. But don't, these are doubtful things. They weren't doctrinal things. They were doubtful things. They were that gray area. And I know some people hate that when, you know, when a pastor talks about a gray area. No, pastor, it's either black or white. It's like, then you will be in a lot of arguments all your life if it's always black and white. Because he's talking about doubtful things, things that will never change your, your salvation. These are doubtful things. And what he's saying here is that there's certain things that you should not have to die on. It's not a hill to die on for you. If anything, why don't you help your brother and not make him stumble by the freedoms that you have? If you want to enjoy those freedoms, enjoy them somewhere else, but not around your brothers that other people are going, you know, I don't want to be offended, but doggone it is just bugging the heck out of me right now. <laughs> Why do we do that to one another? He says, let's not do that. Because to his own master, he will stand or fall. Now, the, the prohibition or prohibiting against eating blood was actually given before the time of the law in Genesis chapter 9, verse 4. And, and, and Paul or, or Moses does repeat it a little later in Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy. But Genesis 9, 3 and 4 says, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things that you, even the, the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And so even before the law, he says, no, there's life in the blood and you don't need to be eating blood or drinking blood, or however you do it. And, and so if, if an animal is killed by strangulation, some of the blood apparently remains in the body, and it makes the meat unfit for Jews to eat. And, and, and that's why it becomes an abomination to eat anything that has been strangled. 
You know, we, we've all heard of, of kosher, being kosher. Kosher meat is meat that comes from a clean animal that, is not, that has been killed properly. In other words, the, the blood has been drained out of it completely or as, as completely as possible. And so that's what makes it kosher for the Jews to eat. Again, the Apostle Paul would eventually deal with these kinds of issues in Romans 14 and 15. And the fact is that, that we should be careful as Christians not to make other people stumble with our freedoms. Because we have the freedom to do whatever we want, but not all of it is good for us and good for others. And I truly believe that this is the heart of James and the leaders here in the church of, in Jerusalem. And so he says in verse 21 or 22, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole assembly to send chosen men of our company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, uh, namely Judas and Silas. These were leading men among the brethren. And I love the fact that when the plan comes together, it's like, okay, man, there seems to be unity if we can all agree here. And even though there had been much dispute going on over this whole issue, and granted, I'm sure that not everybody was totally in agreement with the settlement, the church leaders came up with a plan. And can I just say... <laughs> As a leader in the church, we truly desire unity. We really do. And when there's issues that arise, we work really hard <laughs> to come up with scriptural plans of how do we fix this. Because just about any situation that arises within the people and even the, you know, the church leadership and, and things like that, can, can basically be brought back to the Scripture and say, well, how did they fix it? How, what, what, what was God's intention of taking care of issues? Again, people say, well, you're going to compromise, Pastor. If you, go, if you take, their, if, if you take their, their, their side, you're going to compromise what the Scripture says. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> Most of you guys who are married, you understand compromise, Right? It's not all bad. <laughs> because it, it brings peace. Now, again, if you're going to compromise to sin, that would be totally wrong. But they're not sinning here. If they're saying, hey, let's just avoid certain issues that can cause division. And, and as a pastor and as a leader, my heart is to bring people back together. Not to split them apart. Not to be the one that causes that. Now, I understand sometimes when we give some scriptural plans of saying, this is what God's word is saying, there are people that just walk out of my office and I never see them again because they didn't like what I said. And it's like, I just kind of showed you what the word of God says, but you're mad at the messenger. Jeez. <laughs> now, the good thing here. In this situation, although might, some might say it was a bad thing is, is that there wasn't another church to go to in Jerusalem. <laughs> so
So, so if you didn't agree with the leaders, you couldn't go down to the next church down the street to go, well, those guys didn't do it my way. Again, it reminded me of that story. I think I've shared it here. If you've heard it, please indulge me. But that guy that was stuck on the deserted island for years, and they finally showed up, and, and, and he had been there by himself for years, and yet there's three buildings that are there. And so they finally ask him, it's like, what's the three buildings for? And he says, well, that's my house right there. Well, what's that other? That's my church. Hmm. What's that other one? That's the church I used to go to. <laughs> there wasn't another church for the people in Jerusalem to go to. So they couldn't just like take their Bible and storm out. It was like, oh, I'm out of here, man, because he's going to allow and compromise with these Gentile people. No, it's like, no, we got to fix this. And I encourage people. It's like, no, if you don't agree with what's going on, sit down with the pastor, sit down with the leadership. Settle the issue. Because could it be, is it possible, is there any probability that God wants to humble you or maybe even humble the pastors? To say, oh, I got to see it your way. There's ways to work things out, especially if we're being scriptural. And so James was the one, I believe, that came up with this suggestion that they should write this letter. Again, James more than likely has now become the leader of the church. Even though Peter and John are still considered to be part of the pillars of the church. It seems like he had... He, he's the one that was making this decision. But what I love about this is that James had other people around him in helping him with these decisions. He had chosen men that God had raised up to come alongside because I'm sure after hearing all of this stuff, he's going, come on, boys, man, let's go pray about this, man. Let's go figure out what God wants to do. And then all of a sudden, to be able to, 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 to come up with a letter that, that would encourage unity and not division. The decision was made by, by James and these men to write this thing down and to be able to present it. And, and it shows unity because it tells us that they were all in one accord. And they say this, and it seemed good to us. And, and that's what kind of struck me here as I was looking over this text when I got to this portion where it says, it seemed good to us. I loved it because all of a sudden I'm going, these guys are looking at this, but they're looking at all the situation around them. And I could almost guarantee you that they are seeking the Lord in this whole ordeal that's going on because in verse 28 it says, and it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So they were seeking the Lord, asking the Lord, what do we do here? And when, when they, they came up with the idea and it seemed good not only to them but to the Holy Spirit, I'm sure they were going, okay, I think we're on the right track because the Holy Spirit has confirmed that this is what we ought to be doing. As we're seeking the solution for this situation, it looked good. It wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't, it, it might have been controversial to some people, but it wasn't controversial to the Lord. Here, come up with this situation to take care of the people who are here. As 
as they're seeking the Lord, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit as well. And so this letter was written out to bring about unity. And it was sent out in a heart of unity. Not to divide, but to mend. Not to trouble, make it harder for anybody else, but to exhort them and to encourage them in the Lord. And what I see here is that even in, 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 in James' life, mostly in James' life that I saw here, I saw humility in this man's life. Again, knowing that, that man, he, he has been a good Jewish person all his life, even though he's been walking with the Lord for 20 years, he still had this leaning, but I see humility here that he's going, this seems good to us. This seems good to the Holy Spirit. This letter didn't finish off or finishes off by encouraging them. It, it didn't finish off by saying either accept this or else. You could, you, 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 you could like it or lump it, whatever you want. If you don't like it, get out. He's not saying that. He's saying this is the way it should go. And he finishes off by saying here, if you keep yourself from these things, you will do well. In other words, if you keep yourself from these things, it will help you in your Christian life. It won't hurt you. It won't hurt you if you abstain from these things. And I think that's what we need to understand. There's certain things that God has told us. Is that necessary for your life? Do you have to fight for that? And you're going, no, it won't hurt me if I, if I don't do these things anymore. If anything, it might help my life and I can help other people. Not that you have to push it on people. But just when, when people understand that you're abstaining from certain things because they knew who you were before or what you allowed in your life and you abstain from those things, it's not going to kill you if you abstain from them. I think so many Christians, they can hurt other believers by what they allow in their lives. And again, you have the freedom. But you also have the freedom to, to refrain and or abstain. It's just as easy to. In order to keep peace with other people and to show the same kind of grace to other people that you want extended to yourself. Now, these two scriptures are similar, but they came to mind as I was studying this in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. And 1 Corinthians 12 or, or 10.23, says this, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought, uh, brought under the power of any. The second verse, very similar, says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Not all things build up. And so even though we have the freedom to do whatever you, we want, there are certain things that are not good for you. And it would be good for us if we abstain from those certain things, not just for your own well-being and your family's well-being, but for other people who are watching to help them 
Now, I know that some could say that the church in Jerusalem was still telling them what they should do and what they shouldn't do. Now, I I, I could see that. But they were not saying that this would be something to keep them from being saved. They're not saying that at all. They were just encouraging them. And these believers that would go back up to Antioch could take it or leave it. They really could. But they would do well if they took the leader's advice because I think it was scriptural. And he finishes off by saying farewell. Farewell. Be strong. Another translation. Guys, I don't know what what you're allowing in your life or not allowing. I don't know if it's stumbling other brothers and sisters, but just like Paul or or just like James back in verse 19, he says, therefore I judge that I should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. Examine your life. Examine yourself. Paul tells us that. That we should. We should consider the things that we're allowing in our lives. Are we helping or hurting other people? Are we building them up or are we tearing them down? And we need to be careful with that. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. I'm just so blessed, Lord God, to be able to share with my brothers and sisters this morning, knowing that, Lord, uh, it was quite an ordeal for some just to get here, Lord. But thank you. Thank you, Lord God, for, for their heart to be here. And I pray for them, that you would watch over them even as they leave this place. I thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to open our doors this morning, Lord, to come through the snow if we have to, Lord God, but to get here. And I pray your blessing upon our time right now. Lord, go before us even as we leave this place, Lord. Protect these guys. Watch over these guys, Lord God. Use them in a powerful way. And we bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.